All right. First off, thank you so much for listening. I apologize that this episode is late. Uh, honestly, I'm working on a project and I don't know how much of it I can talk about, so I'm not going to talk about too much. Just to say, I've been working on a project and I did not want to look at audio editing for a while. Uh, so thank you so much to Rachel Weekly, my good friend and contributor, uh, as they did the audio edits this week. And Patreon shout out to Blake, Red Sauce, Sailor Bear, Mael, Meg, Jules, Gabrielle, Cheyenne, Blair, Mary, Jade, Drew, Kate, Becca, Donna, Kirsten, Bry, Taya, Alex, Janelle, Morgie, and Unwoman. Y'all are amazing. You want to be amazing like them? Go to patreon.com slash isittransphobic. Now, here's the episode. Is It Transphobic will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and I am the creator and host of the Is a Transphobic podcast. Today, I'm being joined by... Hi, I'm Jace. I'm a non-binary theater creator and performer based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, uh, I use they, them pronouns, and um, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So today, we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit about community. Um, this is a show I, I've been in love with for a very long time. Uh, it was one of those shows that like every season that it would come out, I would excitedly watch it as it's happening. Um, and so I like you now, Jace, you have a podcast all about community, don't you? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm involved with the podcast advanced community studies uh, in the, <laughs> in the, uh, it's the same kind of, air as how they title most of the episodes that's uh uh hosted by kevin lanigan tv's kevin lanigan as he calls himself uh as well as the other uh, additional host caleb oh i can't remember his last name we call him <laughs> the daddy host he's great because uh, he's the father of the group yeah it's just it's a fun little podcast we do um every uh, every week we go through and we watch uh one to two episodes at a time, just trucking our way through the series. And we've had some great guests. We've been um, uh, fortunate to be featured on some other shows as well. And I'm just excited to be able to bring uh, my queer ass over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about community. Now, we didn't necessarily, when we set this up, have a specific focus we were just going to kind of talk about like various bits about community maybe even a little mm -hmm. bit about dan Harmon. but really mm -hmm. as as i was doing a little bit of my research i forgot about the season one ending episode uh mm -hmm. it is... i swear i took mm -hmm. notes hold on <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking the the title of the episode? I'm looking at the title of the episode. I'm trying to find. Mm -hmm. it. I'm trying to find. Oh, I don't remember either. Pascal's triangle revisited. <laughs> so and that. A, oh, oh, go right ahead. <laughs> it's just it's just a wild episode. I've talked about it a little bit. I've been meaning. I wanted to go more in depth specifically about this episode. Um, 
just with uh, additional voices that I could actually like really like dig into it a little bit with a little bit a little bit with. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had a little episode, uh, uh, like a mini episode, where we talked about the recent controversies with blackface in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the discussion of accountability came up, and I dipped my toe into it as a comparative thing, not to you know. It's not, there's, it's not like a ladder of oppression or anything like that, but you know, intersectional issues, accountability comes up. So um, I've been meaning to dive into, into this. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, the thing that makes this episode so fascinating is that in regards to accountability of it, it's a season finale. So it's simultaneously really problematic, but also like super integral for plot development, character development, propulsion of Joe moving into the next season, like it's a massive episode. So it's it's got some 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 stuff to to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And just for, for anyone who maybe doesn't know, um, the what uh, what you're what you're referring to, this idea of uh, needing accountability, especially with regards to community, recently one of their episodes, as well as a couple of other shows, uh, including 30 Rock, had to pull their episode pull an episode from streaming because it had a character in the case of community it was slightly different but uh they were in full absolute dark black makeup portraying a drow a uh mm-hmm. a, a dark elf a dark elf mm-hmm. um but the and i i thought that the conversation that they had about that was actually like rather interesting because of course you know Shirley immediately goes after like are we just not going to talk about this (laughs) This, this, (laughs) are we just going to ignore this hate crime right (laughs) and you know like there there is an interest like i will say i will use the word interesting but there is an interesting Mm. discussion about that but at the exact same time it is a thing where uh that style of like not even that style of makeup but the style of makeup of putting black color over yourself Mm -hmm. Uh, has been used to absolutely like it I mean it's it's sorry I walked into a thing this is what I was talking about I knew where I was going with it but I walked into it um (laughs) I do that all the time so there's a what the word I will use is interesting there's an interesting discussion that goes on within the show but ultimately outwardly uh, there are hot takes that say that style of makeup isn't offensive and there are hot takes that will say absolutely you should not be doing that because there are a lot of people that use that uh, and it does harken back to blackface. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that I am equipped at this exact moment to jump into a conversation defending or etc. but I will say that I tend to agree that people probably should not be putting black makeup all over themselves, regardless of mm-hmm. the historical context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, yes, it's, for... <laughs> yeah, oh, go right ahead. I'd say that, I know, I'd say that's a, a pretty, pretty uh, base level good take on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, so there was that. Um, and unfortunately what it did was it does leave a hole in that season of community. And mm-hmm. as a result, there is ongoing storytelling that, you miss from that episode and characters mm-hmm. that you see later from that episode who you just kind of don't understand anymore if you're just going in for the first time. Right. Uh, and exactly like you're saying, if hypothetically, after we're done talking about this episode and a couple of other things, they had to remove this episode, there'd be so much 
that is lost from the end of season Absolutely. one to two. Absolutely. I think there's, especially in the way there's this really cool dynamic, a really cool dynamic that they take advantage of between season one finale and season two beginning. Um, and it kind of harkens back to how they refer to the season one finale in the beginning of season two and just the, the way that they put off really. Um, it, it's, it would be, if you don't have the season one finale, season two, you could probably context clues, like figure your way around, but it does not. There's, it's a really complex um, character development with like, there's like a love triangle kind of situation going on and a professing of love from multiple characters and putting someone in a very uncomfortable position. And that sets the entire foundation of the beginning of season two is based on the intertextual understanding that you know what happened at the end of season one. Um, so that's, that makes it a little bit interesting. Um, I'm stealing that word. I think it's a great word. Uh, yeah, it's just, it, it adds an interesting dynamic to uh, the idea of what you do with an episode like that. I know I've talked about the drow elf episode a few times uh, in our mini episode over at Advanced Community Studies, but also we got featured on a little, um, um, we were featured on a podcast called Six Seasons in a Podcast. Uh, and we had another additional further conversation about that episode in particular. Um, and yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk about the accountability aspect of it, like what do you do with an episode of a show that is otherwise beloved and really boundary pushing and does some actually good stuff, you know, all things considered, what do you do with the episodes that cross a line? And also from show perspective, what defines retrospectively which episodes cross the line? Because that also comes down to, is it the streaming platform making that decision or is it the creators, you know? In the case of blackface commentary, if you choose to look at that episode as a commentary on blackface, uh, that's one thing. Whereas in a later episode down the line, and I wish I could tell you the episode number, but there's a moment where Pierce doesn't just, it's not like an allusion or a reference to blackface. He fully does brown face. Like he does an offensive accent. He wears dark face paint and like this whole thing. And we just gloss over it. And I think that's a similar thing with season one finale. And for me, my take, on when something happens that needs to be accounted for. I personally don't think removal is the best decision. I think erasing that it happened does more harm than good. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I was hoping to talk about a little bit, you know, just like the idea of we shouldn't get rid of the end of, of season one for a few reasons, but mm. we should still talk about about it you know <laughs> yeah and and i know especially with uh gone with the wind because this was happening around that time as well uh they hbo i believe it was hbo max initially mm -hmm. got it on there and then took it off and they said we will be bringing it back but there will be a uh whole like there will be something in the beginning of it to contextualize a lot of the right like a disclaimer or a bumper mm -hmm. yeah and 
I, as me, tend to be a lot more in favor of something like that because, again, like, this was media. This was media that came out. This was media that happened. Uh, for those that listen to the podcast, you know I absolutely love professional wrestling, but very much like that, one of the most beloved segments in all of WWE is that time D-Generation X put on brown face and pretended to be the nation of domination. That's the thing. <laughs> And Oof. they don't even shy away from that shit. Uh, they, I like, mean, I don't yeah, think they should, you know? They really should. Uh, but at the same time, again, like, I feel like putting things in, and they're like, what is the context for that? Well, the context is we could get away with it and nobody compl- and people didn't complain loud enough at the time to mm-hmm. be heard. <laughs> not, to, not to victim blame the people that complained. It's more like, yeah, the, the studios didn't listen at the time. They're listening right. now. So No, the power dynamic was definitely not there. And I think that goes to show just like the same fundamental idea is that actually that's incredibly true. If you look at which episodes have been of community specifically that have been removed and which ones haven't, it's the ones that have reached a cultural a tipping point almost, a boiling point. You know, we're having increased discussions about, you know, Black Lives Matter and movement for Black lives, just essentially the racial relations and tensions in the United States. Um, So that's the one that's getting the most attention um, and that causes for other things to go unnoticed, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But but I also want to be here for and uh, allow space for folks that have uh, particularly because me, I am a white person, uh, it does not hit me in the same uh, emotional and the same historical way that it does uh, that it does a lot of other people. And so sure. I don't necessarily want to say like, oh, you know, just put a just put a a warning ahead of time because like that's mm-hmm. like it itself is a it's a yeah like black it's like, is it's a not necess- violent thing. Right. And it's also like, as another white person, I just go, look, that's not my, I call me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I can, I can surround myself with fellow activists, a lot of which are black and black and trans folks. But like, when it comes down to it, it's not my white ass they're listening to. And it's not my ass that they should be listening to. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 I think it's, I think it's a fascinating discussion, but there is one thing we can talk about. And yes. that is, what it what it, trans representation which uh <laughs> mm-hmm. is something that i i uh, i have a feeling both of us know very well <laughs> <laughs> indeed just a guess <laughs> so and even then like so now getting getting back into trans representation and and again like focusing more on this episode uh that, mm-hmm. we're, that we're talking about uh the season ender for season one I want to put forth to our audience, I am going to use the T-slur because that is used uh, quite a bit as a punchline in the episode. So FYI, if you need to prep for it, if you need to walk away for a minute, that's fine. Just know that. Um, One of the main plot lines of the episode, and it's not even the full plot line, but one of the main plot lines of the episode is they're building up for a transfer dance, a dance for transfer students. <laughs> and jeez, oh, it's just <laughs> keep going. Go ahead. I'm just and, I'm just like cringing already. <laughs> and and I I pulled up a couple of quotes because I was like, this like oh boy. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Let me let me find the quote specifically because there was one quote that I was just like, oh god. Like so they're like, oh. mm-hmm. Uh, so the dean 
says, we're just going to call it the tranny dance. To which the response to that is <laughs> much more Greendale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yep. it, it does bring up an interesting discussion point of um, context, mm-hmm. which does remind me of the other episode as well. And, con- you know, context is its own monitor. You know, whether you're discussing intent versus impact or any of those things, um, context versus perception, taking, taking the idea in this circumstance, tranny is shorthand for transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very clearly playing off of the um, divisive slur mm-hmm. and the connotations that come with it. But at the same time, there's also the aspect of it. It's like, they don't mean it in that sense. And also... The dean is the one that comes up with this, which is an, an, a, an additional fascinating discussion because this is a character that um, never identifies in any sort of way other than there's one moment where in, in the season where they say, you're, you're, a, you're the gay dean. And he's like, that is, oh, there's a great quote that I'm not going to get right, where he basically says, that's old, that only part that is hardly covers the like that hardly covers it that's barely what is it he basically says like that's only part of it and does and does not represent me at all but he's very clearly some form of queer like Mm -hmm. there is a queerness about this character um and it's fascinatingly kind of celebrated in a certain sense gay is only one seventh of what i am Yes, exactly. <laughs> Among other variations, it's it's a it's a it's a great. In that episode, they're also talking about kind of um, politicizing, you know, mm-hmm. just to kind of almost like virtue signaling in a certain sense, which is a whole other discussion. Um, mm. But like, yeah, it. He's always been a fascinating character to watch because he he cross dresses, um, you know, and among other things. He wears a lot of costumes, very flamboyant. Honestly, like, I watch him and I go, I love this. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fabulous. You know, he's clearly not well-versed in issues. He's actually the character that they probably mark as the least politically aware, even though the one trying the hardest throughout the entire show. Um, but that fits exactly in with him using the T-slur to represent the transfer dance. It's just, it's a little misguided. <laughs> I will I will also freely admit I I find it funny, but at the exact same time it's just like, yeah, yep, there are definitely gonna be some folks that immediately are like, nope, hard no. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, nope, I right. get that. But also yeah. <laughs> it is kind of funny in all of that context. The other the other thing with the Dean, because they sort of like Yeah, the Dean is fascinating. Like he mm-hmm. <laughs> like He's, he's like kind of a furry sometimes, you know, it's like, I, I love it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I have plenty of friends that are furries, you know, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's like, it's that meme of the guy pointing at a butterfly mm-hmm. community, reflects community and the, and the guy <laughs> is like, says furry and it says, is this representation? And it's like, who knows, you know, like what is, <laughs> what, what is the closest thing to furry representation we have on TV? Mm-hmm. I would, I would venture to say the Dean might be pretty close. <laughs> Well, there's that whole, there's that whole, like, and even then, like, the Dean has become a meme. It's a meme and a gift that I use all the time that, like, I hope this doesn't awaken something inside of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, 
accepting of it also so it's just like yeah you know what kind of yeah <laughs> it's i th- there's something to be said about how you know it's it it, it is making awakenings a bit of a punchline but at the same time the lens through which that they look at it is a decidedly non-toxic one it's very much like it's like who cares you know if it does awaken something to me then maybe it should be awakened you know it's Mm -hmm. it's i i i love it i don't there's i'm drawn to it this character is so appealing to me um but yeah i mean they also do it with i don't know like troy and abed there's there's a lot of um references to them being gay. They call themselves givers. And for me, they're my favorite characters in the show, probably, just as far as like main, main, main happenings. Because, and it really solidified me when I watched the episode where I believe Pierce is, says, oh, like, go, go to your boyfriend or you guys are just gay. And Troy turns to Abed and goes, don't listen to them, they're just jealous. And <laughs> that to me, like, as a, this, I think I saw this like before I came out in any sort of sense. And that was just like, it struck me as like, wow, that's what a beautiful way of representing male friendship, you know? And then as I reflect on it now that I've, you know, in a, in a new, in a new awakening, you know, in terms of Dean, will, like it, it's, it still rings in a very wholesome sense. Like, like it's, it's just a very nice, it's a nice moment. And it's, it's, that's what this show does for me. It somehow manages to take moments that could very easily be like, and makes me personally go like, oh, that's actually kind of cute. Um, <laughs> but it does, it varies from person to person. Yeah. And now uh, one of the other plot lines that's going on is obviously we, we alluded to the love triangle that's going on between Britta, Jeff, and a, uh, a professor who I can't remember the name of yes. off the top of my head. Oh, um, gosh. And at one point, Britta is told, uh, you should, you know, you should try and uh, become the, you should try and become the queen of the tranny dance. And it's <laughs> oh, just God. like, so she, she's trying to become the tranny queen. And <laughs> it's just, like, that's the thing. The humor, like, the joke is very much there. They're going with uh-huh. that. It just, it feels like, and again, like, controversially, like, Here's the thing. If they had more trans and non-binary people on the writing staff and in the production, I like, and I'm still laughing about it, but I might be able to be a lot more like into it and a lot more like, yeah, but at the same time, a lot of it is just like, yeah, we're, we're kind of a punchline, but you know, we're not actually getting paid to be in there and be in on the punchline. Right. It, it would feel a little bit better. Just yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, I'd also, just as someone that does, like, theater creation and, like, works with scripts and stuff like that within the trans community, I, so whenever, the question that comes to my mind whenever something like this happens is, what would this look like if trans people were in the room, you know? Because I don't want to immediately assume that it would just be like, we're not going to make this joke. I, my first instinct is to assume, how would trans people make this joke better, Mm -hmm. you know? Because... And I've said it before. I don't know if I've ever said it on any of the podcasts I've been on, but I say it very frequently in my own personal life. Um, it's not that jokes about being trans aren't funny. It's that when cis people make jokes about being trans, they don't know what's funny about being trans. Mm-hmm. And so they don't make good jokes. They end up just completely missing the mark. I've seen maybe one circumstance, and I couldn't even tell you who it was, but I remember there was like one time where a cis guy made a trans joke, and I was like, that was actually a fire joke. Like that was 
hilarious uh, because it wasn't in trans as a punchline. It was like philosophically using transness as like a medium to, to point out something really profound. It was great. It was comedy the way it should be. And it's, mm -hmm. so I look at this and I go, how would trans folks make this better? You know, yeah. because we do. trans folks make things better. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and even then, like we look at characters on the show and we look at a lot of the joke structures. It's not that they shy away from doing offensive and having offensive humor on the show. It's that they've got mm -hmm. a lens character. They've got like Shirley to point it out. And then Pierce, is just Chevy Chase doing a thing and being racist. So he's so annoying. <laughs> he's so good I, I talk at what about he does. It it's, yeah. it's, that's the tragedy. He's so good at it. But I talk about it all the time. Like I, yeah. I, I hate him. I hate him mm -hmm. so much. Um, but that's also kind of the point. You're supposed to hate him. It's like somewhere in season two, the writers just go, "Oh, Pierce is the villain. Let's just lean into this," and they do. And it, that's when I start to go good but then also it, it just it just hurts it just makes you so angry mm -hmm. um but yeah i talk about <laughs> it a lot that is the thing shirley is very much the let me point it out uh and i talk about this also on the other podcast every once in a while the idea of lampshading where mm, it's basically mm -hmm. uh and i talk about it i always refer back to uh, big bang theory because they do it the best out of anybody mm. sheldon says something super sexist and then one of the other characters doesn't matter which one because it's any of them goes, Sheldon, that's sexist. And then there's just like this like moment and we still <laughs> laugh, but it, it sort of subtly implies that these things are still laughable and things that we should be laughing at. You know, it's, mm -hmm. you know that it's wrong, but we're not gonna do the actual work to not be wrong. We're just gonna point out that it's wrong. So on one level, it's like, yeah, this is like, it, it's self-aware and like awesome kudos to that. We love self-aware humor. On the other hand, it's like, but you're, you're still doing it. Like, you're still saying these bad things. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Pierce. Anyway, uh, so. <laughs> throw, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, admittedly, also, one of the other, like, a, not a deep joke, but, like, a, a very, like, uh, small joke that, people tend to forget about this episode is at one point uh the name danielle Harmon comes up as a competitor and oh my gosh i forgot about that yep and so it certainly does it's Very it's a, clearly a reference to dan yeah and dan is a figure we really should talk about uh before uh we should yeah we should. before we before we end it. because dan is a uh, what many would say a complicated figure. Um, complicated indeed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, why don't we, why don't we go there and then we'll talk about the implications of Daniel Harmon. Uh, Dan, yeah, Dan the human. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not the, the worst episode of Adventure Time. Uh, no, but Dan the human. Uh, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I forgot. <laughs> wow. Wow. I did not expect you to go there, but my brain was so happy you did. <laughs> uh, so Dan himself, he, a, when talking about this particular episode, he has distanced himself from it. He has apologized for it. He realized that it was like, oh yeah, okay. This was uh, offensive in a way that uh, I did not I knew was I knew existed, but I didn't actually realize it was uh, uh, 
as for lack of a better term as bad as it was um mm-hmm. but also he i'm trying to find because i found a thing that summed it up a lot better but like because i remember i so i listen to harmontown while that was still going on mm-hmm. on podcasts oh, yeah. uh and there was a moment where he got like he would get real very often and one of the things he got real mm-hmm. about was uh, apologizing because he had a very inappropriate a uh use of his power in community mm-hmm. to yeah. uh there was a, another writer i'm trying to find her name um i don't just, remember either i feel bad about it but yeah yeah, like uh, I, I just looked it up. That's why I'm kicking myself right now. I'm like, I'm clicking through all the things. What did I, what did I find? Um, here we go. Hold on. Uh, okay. So right now I'm looking at something from the wrap, therap.com. Uh, there's a lot of other spaces that will, uh, that have this same story, but essentially a writer for community, uh, Megan Gans, uh, she, he, he admitted to abusing his position, uh, essentially saying that, like, what had happened was, sorry, I don't, I, man, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time just describing this. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah. So, essentially, not essentially. So, Dan was interested uh, romantically etc in another in a writer in community and uh acted in a way that essentially uh made her feel as if if she said no which she did say no but she was made to feel if and when she is constantly having to say no her position as a writer for this show uh would be in jeopardy and Dan had a full public conversation with her. Dan apologized to her. Uh, but at the same time, the, the scars are there and the scars will probably be there. I'm glad that she has accepted his apology and that they are able to move on. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Dan tends to be from the public persona that we see very good about owning when he does stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same very time... frequently. Yeah, well, very frequently, I uh, when just a lot of the accountability keeps coming up with this show, and I think mm-hmm. that that's very fitting. Very often, when I refer to and have referred to um, how men can move forward after allegations of some sort of sexual misconduct um, occur. Dan Harmon comes up a lot in discussion. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's established right off the bat, like you said, the harm's done, you can't undo that harm. Um, and we've seen a lot of public apologies over the past couple of years too, with you know the rise in Me Too and, and Time's Up, you know, just these more mainstream kind of outlets for these kind of discussions finally occurring mm-hmm. on a broader scale. Uh, but we've seen a lot of circumstances and examples of men who, when being brought to some sense of accountability, don't really apologize or they explain, they try to explain their way out of it. Um, justifications, we hear a lot of people being, the other argument we would hear a lot is, um, well, what are they supposed to do? How do, what are men supposed to do? And very often 
when I was faced with that question, I would very frequently bring up Dan Harmon because there is something to be said, first of all, I mean, yes, he did cause irreparable harm, but there's something to be said about how he has publicly um, really, like his form of accountability is kind of, I hesitate to say gold standard, but it's close. Like he really kind of established a base level of how you should at least attempt to go about doing, you know, mm-hmm. because you like, you know, you can't undo what you've done, but to say, I did this, it was wrong. Um, you know, and like, and that's the start of the apology. So frequently we see people being like, uh, all this stuff has come out with me. I'm deeply sorry, blah, blah, blah. But they never, they never own responsibility. And that's how he started. It was, I, I did this. It was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and he owns up to it. And he, not only does he open up to it, but he has conversations about it and he welcomes questioning. It's not like a, a blanket statement that he puts out and he says, I will not be taking questions further at this time. He's like, look, I'm stuck. I have an obligation to answer to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And he's pretty good about that with a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. He's always been kind of there. It doesn't mean he's perfect. I mean, we can look back at even like Rick and Morty and it took them like, I think it was two seasons before they got any women writing team, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and even still like, it's, 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 it's complicated. It's interesting. (laughs) It is accountability (laughs) and that's the name of the game, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I remember hearing about the Harmontown. I haven't heard the Harmontown one specifically, but you were saying you have. Yeah, it, it was a while ago, admittedly, so I can't necessarily speak with a lot of clarity, because again, like, it was a while ago, and I remember, uh, like, I, I listened to it all the time while I was cleaning the theater that I was working at, mm-hmm. and I remember it hitting me in a way that was very different from mm-hmm. a lot of these other ones, and again, like, I think a lot of it was because, uh, like you say, he admitted it. He says, yes, I did this, um, mm-hmm. and... Ultimately, just to just to bring up the point that you you brought up, there's there's a lot of people that will say, oh, well, what are they supposed to do after that? What what can they do? And mm-hmm. the answer, like truthfully, the answer is it's not up to us. It's not up to their like. I'm not going to say it's not up to their victims. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that because ultimately, ultimately, what they should do is not a roadmap that any of us need to write for them. That's up to them to mm-hmm. figure out, ultimately. Yeah. But if we, you can't, can't work for them. Yeah. No, like, no, none of us. Uh, admittedly, a lot of that, especially when it comes to any kind of, uh, uh, like, any kind of community where you are, any kind of community where you <laughs> are, yeah, where... <laughs> where you're trying to have some form of, like, I'm going to use the term restorative justice, but really in reality, I might be way off base by you saying that. Sure, uh, yeah. But having some sort of restorative form of uh, uh, movement and restorative way to continue, it is about the people that have been, it is about making sure first and foremost, the people that have been wronged uh, are able to move forward and are okay. And if they don't accept the apology, they don't accept the apology. and that is how that is uh, but at the yeah. same time it's it's up to the person that did the thing 
to a prove that they are not going to do the thing anymore and then b mm -hmm. if it means that they're out they're out uh, and for a lot of people that right. I have talked to about Dan Harmon, that was enough to tell them, nope, I don't ever want to see another Dan Harmon thing again. Uh, and I, yeah. I respect at the same time, I, I'm, I'm still watching Rick and Morty. I'm still enjoying a lot of his stuff, but at the same time, right. the point is you don't ignore that that happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm in the same boat as you. I very much still enjoy a lot of the stuff he does. Um, I do bring with me the discourse about it. I think um, it's important, um, especially like as queer folks, the idea of non-concrete thinking is kind of baked mm -hmm. into just our theory, really. Um, mm -hmm. And being able to hold conflicting ideas simultaneously. So the idea of being able to go, I fully acknowledge the harm that this man has done. And uh, it, it's, it's something that troubles me. Um, well, at the same time, I love his work. Uh, he's got this really fascinating way of telling stories, both structurally and tone-wise. Like it's, it, he, he's got a fingerprint on it. Best proof of that is when you watch Community season four, they refer to the gas leak year, which was the year that Dan Harmon wasn't on the show and everything just got just a little weird. Like it just wasn't fully the same. A lot of the stuff was structurally the same. They followed his format, but without, he's got a very distinctive fingerprint. Um, but I agree with what you're saying. When it comes down to harm being done, um, steps need to be taken. It really is, it's not one, it's not one-sided. It's, you know, the victim has a perspective that should be respected and taken account. The person that did the harm uh, also needs to be actively involved in these discussions. And when it comes down to it, it's, um, yeah, the restorative justice is the, is like one of those, I, it's not, I don't know if that's the right word. I was, I was searching for the right one. I'm not sure I can yeah. find it, but it reminds me of like, like, I don't want to say reparations because that load, that's loaded in a different sense, but essentially the idea of when harm is done um, within a truly accountable structure, Steps need to be done to acknowledge the harm and then try to reduce the harm as much as possible. Um, and if you can't reduce the harm, do something to help manage the harm. I think there's different, you know, it's, you can, there's different ways to kind of look at what that means and that varies from case to case. But um, yeah, I think there is something to be said about the fact that Dan Harmon actively held a conversation with this person. Um, and not only did he own up to it and have a discussion and take steps to kind of not necessarily right the wrongs, but like make things easier or, you know, change things up a bit, like really present some sort of open healing discussion. He also provided a platform for this person to build off of, which is a really powerful notion to say, hey, in the discussion of the harm that I've done, I'm going to bolster the voice of the person that I harmed, which is very far from what most people do. You know, like, like I said earlier, most people, they make a statement and they say no further questions. Um, he not only did he not do that, he fully said, please ask me questions. In fact, I want you to ask questions with the person that was affected at the table. Like that's kind of profound in a sense, you know, to be able to say, hey, let's sit down. Mm -hmm. And just to throw this out there also, uh, victims are not, uh, 
victims are not responsible to at in any way shape or form communicate with their abuser ever absolutely Uh, there is no obligation that is not your job mm -hmm. uh so just 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 to make that distinction but at the same time like it is really uh amazing that they were that a she was able to uh move past that and part of that being that dan admitted that yes this is a thing that happened yes Mm-hmm. So, uh, that said, <laughs> Daniela Harmon, uh, right. Uh, her. She's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think because again, he has walked back from this episode and realized that there was a lot of harm done. And then, and you know, like, it's a dumb, it's a dumb joke. It's a dumb, it's a dumb quick thing. Like, Oh, you know, just feminize my name. <laughs> uh, add an A. Mm-hmm. All it takes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish that's all it took. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That'd be so much easier than all the bullshit I deal with on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Like, so, so between that and between a lot of the later episodes of Harmontown where there are members of the community that he brings up. Admittedly, I wish he had more trans guests that were doing things because he would have a lot of like I mean, I wish that about everything. I yes. Everything. But I agree. <laughs> yeah. Specifically in a context where you are talking about, I mean, using the Teasler. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, with, with, I'm kind of doing, like, it's so funny. Like, it's so funny because I'm realizing I'm kind of Dan Harmoning as I'm, as I'm like putting together this discussion <laughs> because so much of it is just like, I'm going down a path. Okay. Uh, but... Yeah, <laughs> I love nobody. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, actually, just did the Dan Harmon hands thing that he always does. <laughs> he's like, ah, with the two hands, like almost <laughs> like um, uh, "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina," but just like brought in a little bit. <laughs> oh, but but yeah, like it, it's because I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it in context with the episode, but so much of it is outside of the episode. Because really, when it boils down to it, it's one joke that gets told over and over again. It's mm-hmm. yeah. the Teesler exists. It's not meant to exist like this. Let's find as many ways <laughs> that we can joke about it. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but it, but in reality, so much of it is because of Dan the Man, and in, yeah. and again in later episodes of Harmontown. Uh, his guests would be like most of the guests on Harmontown in the beginning and later on uh, they tried to keep that essence going were people that were just in the crowd it was just mm-hmm. that was part of the appeal is like you show up to Harmontown you might be up there you might be a guest um, and so there there are a couple of folks who have been regulars on Harmontown who transitioned and they had like a very frank mm. discussion with a non-binary person that they just pulled up. Uh, I think their name was Nova. Uh, and it was like, it was really cool because. Great name. Yeah. Like, A, respect. Wow. Respect. Wow. Good name. Kind of, it's not going to lie. <laughs> I feel like, oh, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, it's that Deadpool moment of, oh, what's your name? Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Oh. <laughs> Can we switch? <laughs> right, yeah. I actually, is that weird? Is that just, okay, I have to ask this because I haven't been able yeah. to ask this to other people. I meet other trans people all the time and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, shit, I want your name. Is that, 
the that- universal experience? <laughs> like, is that a thing where you like, you look at someone and you're like, damn, you chose a great one. Fuck, I want a new one. <laughs> I think because I will freely admit, like for me, like at this point, I'm an old trans person. So I'm like, all right, no, like I'm I'm here. I'm good. I'm Ashley. Oh, that's cool name though. Like oftentimes I think because we have had that experience where we are like, hey, A, everyone has the freedom to choose their own name. Yo, you know, you don't have to be trans or non-binary to choose a different name. I find I find it so funny when cis people like hear a name and they're like, dang, I wish that was my name. And I'm always like it. (laughs) could be like you could like it really could be like it's that simple it's actually you don't even need a government document to let you know what you are you can just Mm -hmm. go by that name yeah it's it's yeah (laughs) anytime i meet someone anytime i meet a trans person named jasper and let's be honest there's a decent chunk of us Mm -hmm. like i go that was almost my name you know fun moments anyway nova sorry for yeah. tangent so but yeah like and you know dan being dan with the <laughs> uh you know he was he was asking questions and they were actually like fairly respectful but at the same time it was you know like they were given the the ability and the option to kind of like try and stop him from being an idiot but he yeah. owns his idiocy so it's kind of it works and it was kind of cool uh especially for his listeners especially for people who were just sort of there and maybe didn't know that they knew non-binary people um right and so for for me there's a lot of good that has happened uh and he is pretty good about owning this and other things so for me i don't know yeah it is i i do it's when breaking down the joke i think it's it's really interesting Mm. you know i I, I like, I have this weird special spot in my heart for like philosophy in a lot of sense, which does tie a lot into comedy. There's mm-hmm. actually a great joke, a uh, great book, which probably would deserve its own conversation about as a transphobic because I'm sure there's a thing in there because I haven't looked at it in a minute called Plato and a Platypus Walk into a Bar. And it's ex- explaining philosophy through jokes. And it really kind of breaks down to the idea that all jokes, no matter what, are based on some sort of philosophical concept either it's a betrayal of that concept or it's an acknowledgement of that concept in some way um and you know we can talk about jokes with like the punchline is uh, jokes that punch down right the punchline is someone from a place of more privilege punching down to a more oppressed you know identity or person of any sort um there is something to be said about the idea that while yes, the tr- the teasler is um, technically the punchline, the thing about it isn't that it's ha 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 trans people are funny we should laugh at them. The fundamental concept behind the joke is closer to like a treachery of images kind of thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. like the the Magritte paintings, this scene is found peak. This is not a pipe. You know, it's like it's you see one thing and you hear something totally different and your brain is forced to reconcile these ideas. So when you look, when you say these are transfer students, but then you call them a tranny, it's like, what? <laughs> your brain just goes, uh, you know, and there is that shock value that's definitely exploited for sure. And I think that's kind of where issue comes up for me is that there, it was clearly done for shock value with little regard to what harm could come just even from using that word but the aspect of trans people aren't the butt of the joke necessarily they don't they, they certainly add to it but it's the idea of a treachery of ideas um, 
And that's something that he plays with a lot too. Dan Harmon is an idiot, but he's also a really smart guy. So it's just like, well, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah i mean even even then like i i love i think one of my favorite things is when i meet a trans auto mechanic uh because i i do have a couple of friends who are like who have either a history mm -hmm. of or currently auto mechanics that are trans and one of the things i go is like hey so do you always have a problem it's like if you talk about transmission ashley i'm gonna hurt you <laughs> <laughs> Because that's a great joke it's like it's just like and like for those that maybe don't know for those that don't have that lens like that is a term that they use for transmission so they don't have to keep saying transmission as well <laughs> and so wait they use the slur for transmission yeah no shit yeah but i'm that's i'm gonna i'm gonna state the thing fyi for for those listening yeah you've got a tranny problem oh god <laughs> that's the yeah. That sounds that sounds so much worse. <laughs> it, yes, it's just like no, like what? It's like, like excuse me, Gus, you better be talking about my transmission. Like, yeah. Because, <laughs> oh like, man. Yeah. Ooh. Oh yeah. No, like <laughs> that's 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 funny though. That's yes, funny. Like, but, but but part of it, part of it, and again, like. A lot of other people could be making that joke too, but part of it is because I'm a trans person making that joke. It's like yeah, I think <laughs> like lens is everything, you know. Yeah. Like when it when it when it comes out of the mouth of a trans person, it means something totally different. I think it's fundamentally an idea of uh, reappropriation. Um, you know, it's taking the power back. Um, which actually reminds me, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I actually mm -hmm. think this would be kind of a fun conversation to have with you. Uh, a fellow, I love the word queer. Queer is one of my favorite descriptor terms. I think it's a nice, beautiful, concise umbrella term that covers a lot of ground without being, it's defining enough without being too defining, which is kind of a seminal aspect of queer theory. Um, a fellow queer person, uh, I, uh, a fellow non-binary person, I should say specifically, um, posted something a little while ago about how using the word queer uh, is not something cis people should use, which was an interesting take. I wasn't, I, I didn't agree with it mm. at first, uh, but I was open to hearing what the, what the discussion was. They were saying that um, there are still some folks in the queer community, I, I use it second nature, but there are still some folks in the LGBTQ plus community that still find queer to be a slur. Mm -hmm. And my brain immediately went, but then how do they justify the Q and that acronym? And then how do they justify queer theory? And to me, the idea of like just queer as a way, like it, it definitely did though start as a reappropriation of power. It was queer folks took that word back, you know, it's kind of like the whole, um, like dykes on bikes, you know, take, taking the power back. I know several gay men, a lot of, drag queens even who identify as cis gay men who throw the f word around all the time and that I, I that one makes go ah oh, like that makes my heart go go a little nuts you know that is a very apt description of um reappropriation but it was just an interesting discussion about where does queer the word queer fall on that line um yeah yeah i 
and even then, like just to just to quickly answer, many of the folks who would still use Q but don't like the word queer would probably change it to questioning. Um, mm. Which, yeah, like I hold space for folks that are questioning. I like, I, I think that we would all be healthier if we were we felt that we were allowed to ask a lot more questions uh, of ourselves. I agree. Uh, but but at the same time, I I like the word queer. But then again, I. Mm didn't realize until I was I was working on a project with uh, uh, TONYC, Theater of the Oppressed NYC, and I was working with an older gay gentleman, and he, like, we were talking about the word, and he was just like, look, I know people, like, use that word, I know people say it all the time, I know that it's part of studies, but at the same time, that was the word that got used against mm-hmm. me all the time so i can't help but feel angry about it and et cetera, et cetera. but right. like and it, yeah. it was it was the first time i had ever heard that and to to be as like basically oh oh to be as privileged as me to have not realized how bad right. a word mm-hmm. that was um, right yeah it's mm-hmm. i actually i was in a, a voice lesson with uh a vocal teacher i had um mm-hmm. and and I use that word for myself. I use that word for mm-hmm. myself frequently. It's it's yeah. a word I personally find liberating, but I also understand history. Of, and I, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just a queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and sh- she was like, oh, no, don't be mean to yourself. And I was like, <laughs> what? No, 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 I, no, no. I, that's like, that's like a, <laughs> yeah. that's like a badge. Like I love that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is, it's, it's, I, that's the one that I find to lie most on that. Like, yeah it's still in a weird space, you mm-hmm. know? I think what it is like, A, if I feel like I can use it for myself, I am totally happy with anyone in the world using it for me, as long as it's done with respect and in that context. Any Absolutely. Because there are some people that will be able to say, like, any word can be a slur. Any word can be an insult. Like, if I call you a hot dog, like that immediately, like with the okay, that's stupid. But at the same time, like sure, I guess with I mean, a lot I, more context, like yeah, <laughs> context is everything. I mean, yeah. personally, I think that there is a very hard line between yeah. insult and slur, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is you know. But then, like defining what a slur is is kind of interesting. But I can tell you without a doubt um, uh, that like there are just some words that are mean and offensive words but they're not slurs mm-hmm. um you know um and i think that the one with queer is it's kind of in this in an almost like beautifully like ironic mm-hmm. sense in a beautiful in almost like a queer sense itself queer is kind of simultaneously a slur and not a slur mm-hmm. uh which i personally find to be amazing because that's just like fundamentally what mm-hmm. queer theory is you know yeah um, Again, and but yeah, but 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 just to kind of like put a pin on like where where I was going with that, I think it just depends. A, it depends on the the individual person, which a lot of people don't like hearing because mm-hmm. then it's not that they don't want to get to know people; it's that people have to like they want to be able to know immediately without having to worry, without having to think, without having to do anything, That's and. And admittedly, this is part of the, the uh, not the problem, but this is part of uh, an issue that I run into when talking about the disability community. 
and there was an mm-hmm. entire episode with uh, W. Kamau Bell's Shades of America, where he focused on disability access in the U.S. And one of the things mm-hmm. that they did was every single person had a different way to identify uh, how they identified with disability, whether it's I'm a disabled person, I'm a person with a disability. And so it's like, you've got to kind of get to know what language that person prefers. Absolutely. Yeah, so. I think it's, it's that's very real. I, 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 I personally love that. Um, when my sister was first coming out, um, one of the things, I came out before my sister, so I kind of was like, in a very different sense, of course, but I came out before my sister and I kind of like, she asked me about a lot of stuff uh, as she was coming into her, her gay identity. Um, and I, one of the first things I said to her, I was like, look, here's the deal. Labels are for you and nobody else. So you are the only person that gets to decide which labels you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you choose a label for you, that's great. And you can use it for yourself, but nobody gets to hold that power over you. You know, um, it's just, it's, it's especially powerful knowing how like, it's just words and the language that we use really, they really do define the, the lens, the perspective, just the reality we see things through. I know my favorite thing to refer to is um, how like colors, we didn't have words for certain colors. Um, mm-hmm. And those colors essentially didn't exist until we had words for them. But when you put a word to them, all of a sudden they, they do exist. And it's not that they weren't there before, but there's an idea of naming something gives it the power, existence. It gives it power or it gives it reality. Um, and I often refer back to that, even with like the increasing um, development of terminology in the community, right? So like um, genderqueer or non-binary identity, right? Like these are not new concepts, mm-hmm. but there's new linguistics around them. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, whenever people would be like, oh, it's all just so new, I always, that just, that, that's the first thing I bring up because I find it, it's like, yes, in a sense, it is very new. Um, but I also am very good to point out that there's an element of that, that it's, it's not new because that can very easily be turned into an argument of it's new, it's not real, you know, it's just some new development. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's a new understanding of an old concept. And we've got a new, when you, ha- when you, it's like when you're a kid and you learn a new word, it frees you up to talk about more complex discussions. Um, and I think that's kind of, it, going back to community, like if there were trans people on the writing team, there could have been some really exciting developments on how they played with the work. Like the, mm-hmm. this is in a, innately a pun. It's a pun. And I personally think that puns and wordplay are a part of like gay culture. I don't know if that's just me. I can't, if you ask me to explain why I hold that belief, I will tell you to your face, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, but it is like when someone makes a wordplay, I'm like, that's gay, nice. And people are like, what are you talking about? But like, <laughs> yeah, so I think there's something to be said about what, you know, what would, what would, what would this episode look like with, um, with a more, a more queer writing team? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we should start wrapping up. 
Um, so I'm going to ask the two questions that I always ask at the end of the podcast, which are, okay, great. was it transphobic and was it enjoyable? Uh, yeah. So first one, let's go with, <laughs> you know, let's go with what I think is going to be the easier question to answer. Uh, this particular episode, uh, season one ending, was it enjoyable? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, there's something to be said about like, pe- like a messy love triangle being announced over a microphone. I mean, it's the kind of drama that if it was in a drama, you'd hate it, but it fits right in in this goofy comedy. It just, it works. And you love these characters. It's a great, it's a great summary to a season. Absolutely enjoyable, for sure, no doubt. I tend to agree. I think it's amazing. I love it. Uh, there it is. Um, so I am going to add another question to the end because we talked about accountability and we brought up the idea of mm. another episode being taken off. But first, is it transphobic? Uh, in, in the spirit of queer theory, I'm going to say it's not that simple. Uh, I think... <laughs> Uh, I Way don't to ruin my podcast. I, no, 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 yes or no. Um, I guess, I okay, if I had to pick one, it would be on the yes. It's on the yes side of the spectrum. Yes. I, I, <laughs> you know? Sorry, I did not prep you. You can answer this in any way that you'd like. It can be in a very binary <laughs> yes or no. It can be on a scale. It could be with a sound, however you need to express it. No, oh, I love that. I love the idea of answering yes or no questions with a sound. That feels very mm-hmm. true to me. Now, um... I think uh, it's not binarily a yes or no answer. I think the episode has a lot more to it than just this joke. So in that sense, no, it's not transphobic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a sense, uh, it is at minimum um, uneducated mm. and ignorant to transphobia. At worst, uh, it is, um, at its like absolute worst, is just uh, inconsiderate. Um, and that that is steeped in a cultural transphobia. Mm. So um, I, don't, I don't find it vindictive, I think is, is what I'm trying to get at. I don't find it vindictively transphobic. That doesn't make the fact that it is, yeah, it's, it's a little transphobic. Mm. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, tend to, I tend to agree. I think that the, the word itself is rooted in a lot of transphobia. Uh, many people will disagree with that, but the fact that it exists, there will be some who would make the case its existence makes this episode entirely transphobic. I don't tend to agree with that, but I want to acknowledge that is a train of thought. Um, The other thing I will say is occasionally it does get used in a way that is meant to harken back to the word, like particularly, oh, do you want to be the tranny queen? Um, But at the same time, I feel Mm. like it's not, awful i don't like there's so much worse uh intent does not necessarily equal impact but the intent is definitely not to disparage transphobia. absolutely yeah that's why that's why i say i don't find it vindictive i think even yeah. in the the pardon my usage of it but in the tranny queen line it's still fundamentally predicated on the idea that in this context they mean the transfer queen and that's kind <laughs> of why it's like it's not it's not vindictive but it's still there and you're just like don't don't ignore it don't ignore it please don't don't ignore it so because we have said that I feel like it's going to render my next question moot but with Mm -hmm. that said with accountability 
should would this episode be taken off the air at some point are we do we- i don't think i mean personally and this is again like you've brought so eloquently several times this does vary from person to person i don't think anything should be removed unless it is full-blown propaganda like that's like an, an incitement of violence that's my line um and while this might subtly incite violence i don't view this as something should be removed entirely um for a few reasons um but if we're talking just morally like ignoring the broader implications of plot or whatever um i think it's actually a beautiful learning opportunity um you know i think it's like it's because in this circumstance it's not like we're talking about a statue or like you know some a celebration of this word it's it's a cultural usage of this word. And I think it's, I think um, you brought up Gone with the Wind. I think exactly that. There should just be some sort of opportunity to be like, even if it's just like, there's the idea of a warning, like a trigger warning or a content warning kind of idea. Let people know. um, And then maybe just expand on it, even like with a sentence or two, just for audiences that otherwise wouldn't be triggered by this behavior, but should understand how it's triggering for others. I think that doesn't harm anybody. And someone is complaining about having to read two sentences before they get to their 20 minute sitcom episode, then I'm, I have very little sympathy for that lack of patience. Like it's, I think we can all deal with just a little bumper. So um, I think accountability looks very different than removal of episodes. Yeah. Personally. Nope. I tend to agree uh, very strongly. Uh, I am not in favor of things being removed at the exact same time. With this episode, again, your mileage may vary, uh, but really, (laughs) no, like, honestly, it's not that they use a bad word, and it is a bad word, and I don't mean to minimize Mm -hmm. what, I don't mean to minimize the T-slur, but at the same time, it kind Mm -hmm. of boils down to, they use a bad word, they use it constantly, they use it in a way that is not as bad as a lot of other things, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> I actually have a question for you just yeah. to kind of kind of wrap this up. I don't know if this is atypical or not. Um, accountability would look like, how, what, what are your thoughts on if they were to, while keeping the episode up, regardless of a bumper in the front or not, mm-hmm. bleeping it out? Uh, it would be very clearly like bleeping and blurring it out. It would still clearly, like the joke would still land. You would know what they're saying. Um, mm. But then... But that, that could open a whole discussion about the like how efficient mm-hmm. beeping and blurring is. But yeah, I don't know. It's just that's the other thing that comes mm. to mind. I will say, like, and there are pieces of media that I've seen bleeping and blurring work really well as far as mm-hmm. actually elevating the media. Uh, we just put out an episode on work in progress, which if you have not watched, absolutely watch. Um, yeah, it's fabulous. Oh my god, it's so good. But the the end of the season they have this whole subplot where uh, Abby, the main character, sees her partner's dead name. But we, the audience, never see it. It's blurred. And anytime anyone mm-hmm. says it, it's bleeped. And A, it creates a lot of like very funny things because like in your mind, you're like, A, in your mind, it creates a very funny thing because you're like, oh, that says something horrible. Ha ha ha. Why would they name their restaurant that? But at the same time, you're also like, this is protecting this character because we don't need to know their dead name. Like, we don't Mm -hmm. need to know it. It is bad for you to have that information. It's bad for you to see that. 
So it's, no, it's it's not important. It doesn't yeah. matter. It does not change the themes, the story, any of it. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would say, no, I, I'm not in favor of necessarily blurring or bleeping. Uh, it, mm -hmm. again, might help other people, but at the same time, I feel like doing that, I'm not going to say I feel like doing that would force people to go like, well, what were they saying? I'm going to have to look this up. Oh, it could be it. Like, but, mm -hmm. you know, you know, it's, I feel like it might draw more attention to it than if they just used it and continue to use it as a joke. Hmm. Good point. I like that. Thank you. All right. So uh, tell people how to find you on the internet if you want them to. You, oh you could not. Goodness. That's fine. Oh my goodness. I love that. <laughs> That's very real. Um, I do this thing uh, on the other podcast where we do, we have our moment where we do plugs. Um, and I often, sometimes I'll plug myself. By the way, if you want to follow me on either Twitter or Instagram, follow me at uh, J-A-C-E-N-Z-I-E-V. Um, uh, yeah, I warn you, my Twitter is mostly retweets of radicals, uh, like just radical leftists and like, you know, that kind of stuff. If that's what you're into, give it a follow. If you're not into that, don't bother. <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, um, yeah. And then my Instagram is, you know, I'm on it every once in a while. It's kind of fun. I post some stuff on there as well. But what I do on this other podcast is I to give shout out to other, uh, queer and trans um, artists or uh, just other folks that could use a little boost right now. Um, so I also like to give a shout out to other people that I look up to and that inspire me to be a better person and kind of move along. So I'm going to give a shout out to my good friend Junior Mint. Uh, she is a trans drag performer based in Brooklyn. Uh, that's at Junior Mint, like the candy, but it's got two T's at the end. Um, she's incredible. She does these, she's got a great Patreon. Uh, she does these releases on a regular basis where she talks about issues facing a uh, black trans community. She gives like these little morning pep talks. They're fabulous. I highly recommend giving her a follow uh, on Instagram. Yeah, uh, that's kind of, that's like how I like to do things. I'm saying uh, anytime I get a platform to boost myself, I like to also boost up others. Um, so that's, that's what I have to say about that. Uh-huh, I love that. Uh, yeah, so for, for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. Uh, you can also follow uh, the Is It Transphobic podcast on Twitter at Is It Transphobic. We finally have an Instagram because I finally broke down and started an Instagram. Uh, and that's at, at Is It Transphobic. Uh, and then finally, we have a Patreon for just $1 a month or more. Whatever you feel like giving, whatever you're able to give, you will have access to episodes a week before we release them, mini episodes a month before we release them, and a lot of other things that I'm still figuring out. If anyone has any ideas what you want, just t t tell me what you want. Not, wow, that sounded <laughs> desperate. Oh, man, that sounded real what desperate. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> just give me money. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. Is It Transphobic <laughs> was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.